0: Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader. And my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do just that, right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. And I'm your host, Mark Minkus. The date was December 29th, 1972. It was shortly before midnight, and it was a warm night in Miami, Florida. Family and friends waited inside the terminal for Eastern Airlines Flight 401 out of JFK Airport in New York City. It was supposed to land in a few minutes. And the 163 passengers on board Flight 401, we're looking forward to celebrating New Year's Eve in Miami with their family and their friends. But what happened over the next few minutes would change aviation history forever. And what happened over the next few minutes can teach us several extremely valuable lessons as we lead our schools. Something that happened on a warm Florida evening in 1972 can change the way that we lead. And so before we get into that and I tell you the rest of the story, I want to give you a free gift to say thanks for listening to the podcast. And this one is called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And we know that it's part of the job to work with private school parents and most of them are great, but some of them can be demanding and very difficult. And so this guide will give you the tools you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with the parents at your school. And so you can go to the privateschoolleader.com parents to grab that guide called five strategies to help you work with difficult parents, the privateschoolleader.com parents. And also I wanted to ask for two quick favors. You know that it's my goal To help as many private school leaders as possible. And there's actually two ways you can help me out with that. So first of all, I'd love it if you would please share this podcast with another leader that you know, or an aspiring leader at your school. And second, if you could please go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for the podcast, because those reviews and those ratings help the algorithm push this content out to other leaders as a suggested podcast. And leaders all over the world, in 47 countries as of today, are downloading this podcast. So we want to help all the private school leaders out all over the world. And one of the ways to do that is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. So thank you again for helping me. Thanks for listening. And I really appreciate you and appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this episode. All right, so I told you that what happened on December 29th, 1972 can change the way that we lead. So I want to pick up the story where I left off, and that is the pilots of Eastern Airlines Flight 401, they readied their plan for landing at Miami International Airport, and they pushed the button to put down the landing gear. And on approach to the airport, The nose landing gear indicator did not light up. So it's supposed to light up a little green light to say that the front landing gear went down. But that light didn't light up. And the pilots had to identify whether the landing gear had failed to go down, or more likely, it was probably that maybe the bulb had burned out. But this one inch square light on the lower right side of the center instrument panel. And it only would cost $12 to replace this little light bulb. But that little light and the focus on that light led to a tragedy. And that indicator didn't light up. And so the pilots, they don't know if the nose gear is down and locked for landing. The light should have been on. But it didn't come on. And so, as a result, the pilots aborted the landing, and they're going to go around. You know, they fly out over the Everglades, and they're going to make a big circle and come back, work the problem out, and then land safely at Miami Airport. And so what they did was the first officer set the autopilot to keep the airplane at 2,000 feet and let them sort out the problem. And so they're discussing they send the first officer down below deck to check and do a visual uh, through a little window that exists for that purpose to see if the gear was down. And they're all focused on this light. And so they're trying to trying to pull the cover off because they have a backup light bulb and they if they screwed in, maybe it was just the light was burnt out. And so all of this is going on. But the captain accidentally bumped the control column while turning to speak to the second officer. And he bumped the control column and disengaged autopilot. And so while they're solving this problem, now no one is flying the plane. And they're focused on this light bulb. They confirm that the original light bulb had actually burnt out. The cockpit voice recordings later revealed that the crew was frustrated with how hard it was to change this light bulb and that the cover was jammed and they didn't want to break it and now the aircraft had dropped 250 feet and there was actually an audio warning from the speaker next to the second officer that alerted them to this fact that they were no longer on autopilot that they had dropped altitude but no one listened no one heard it they were too focused on the light bulb and there were at least four indicators that this airplane eastern airlines flight 401 was slowly descending toward the everglades the vertical speed indicator the captain's autopilot display the audio warning all go unnoticed by the crew as they're focused on the light bulb and just a few minutes later, while the pilots are still working on the light bulb, the first officer noted, noticed that their altitude, that they were dangerously low. And then the radar starts sounding a warning. Terrain, terrain. But by the time the pilots realized their situation, it was too late. And seconds later, flight 401... Impacted the Everglades in a left turn and began to disintegrate, disintegrate, and the, the wreckage was strewn over an area of 50 square kilometers. And this was the first accident in aviation history that involved a wide bodied airliner. These are the big ones. And it was the most deadly crash in the United States at that point. And somehow, miraculously, 75 passengers and crew survived, but 101 passengers and crew died in the fiery crash and so um, you'll not be surprised to hear that the national traffic and safety board the NTSB started an in-depth investigation and they found out that the only thing wrong with that airplane was that burnout light bulb the landing gear was down in the locked position and the human error was among the four people in that cockpit the pilot the first officer, the flight engineer, and the technical officer, all four highly experienced pilots that crashed a plane into the Everglades because of a burnout light. Well, what are the leadership lessons that we can learn from Eastern Airlines Flight 401 that we can apply quite easily to our leadership at our private schools? Well, there are five lessons that we're going to discuss today. Number one, beware of cognitive tunneling. Number two, embrace crew resource management. Number three, encourage open communication. Number four, simulate high-stress situations. And number five, learn from our mistakes. And I always hope that when you're listening that you're doing something else while you're listening that you're driving to school, driving home, running errands, working out, walking the dog. And so I always try to take good care of you in the show notes. And so all of this will be there as far as the the points that I'm trying to make, the the lessons that we're trying to learn. And so maybe you can just listen and let it sink in. And then it's always available to you there at um, theprivateschoolleader.com episode 46 to go back and look at those show notes. But lesson number one is to beware of cognitive tunneling. And this is a quote from um, an article that I've linked in the show notes. And it says, as long as stress levels are not too high, the average human has enough additional information processing capacity to notice things unrelated to the current task such as the audio altitude warning and instruments indicating a descent. So, as long as stress levels are not too high, is the key phrase in that quote. Because when our stress levels are high, then cognitive tunneling can happen. And this is when one particular task is given a very, very high priority at the expense of other tasks, or maybe at the expense of all other tasks. And it can be especially dangerous when the task being focused on is actually less important than the tasks being neglected. And so I think you can see where I'm going with this. Three pilots focused on that light bulb while the fourth pilot was making his way down to Um, look out that little window to see if the landing gear was down. They were so focused on that, that the four different indicators, some of them visual, some of them audio, were not noticed or ignored, but probably not noticed. And it's been proven through research that when we're in fight or flight, that our peripheral vision actually decreases. So there's cognitive tunneling, but there's also a physical tunneling with our tunnel vision of our eyes that the focus is on what's right in front of us because in fight or flight, we need to be focused on the danger. But that's what happened with the flight crew. And and it may have seemed that they were presented with a simple task, changing a light bulb, but the cover was jammed and and they were most likely experiencing cognitive tunneling as they tried to figure out a way to replace the light bulb without breaking the cover. They should have broken the cover. Uh, Maybe they should have just focused on the other indicators and made sure that they were at a proper height altitude to fly, waited until the First officer got back with the report that the landing gear was down and they would have landed at Miami International Airport. But that's easy for me to say. That's easy for me to say 50 years later because I wasn't there in that cockpit. I wasn't there with all of that stress. And we know that sometimes when we give all of our attention to one problem, the thing that's latest and loudest and that's right in front of us, But then sometimes we don't give attention to the things that really should be receiving attention in our schools. And so the tyranny of the urgent sometimes controls our day. And sometimes we spend our time working on what's urgent versus what is important. And what's urgent might be that upset parent that's right in front of us. But I think that our definition of urgent in our private schools for the most part is kind of messed up. Because our email inbox feels urgent, but I've said it before, our email inbox is really just a chronological list of everyone else's priorities. And as the leader, we have to see the big picture and not get focused on one small detail. And that's hard to do, especially when we're under stress. But I think that hopefully we can learn the lesson from Flight 401 that. When, what is our what is our little light bulb in our day in our school year? What is the thing that we're spending emotional energy on and a lot of attention when there are big things, the important things, our good intentions are, boy, I wish I had time to do blank, those things that are not getting our attention. And so lesson number one is to beware of cognitive, tunneling. All right, on to lesson number two. Embrace crew resource management. So I told you at the top of the episode that what happened that night changed aviation forever. And that's because this crash led to the evolution of something called crew resource management, or CRM, in the airline industry across all airlines around the world. And what crew resource management, or CRM, means is that the captain is responsible for ensuring that the monitoring of all indicators and warning systems are delegated appropriately among the crew. Therefore, the whole crew isn't going to be focused on one thing, and they're going to miss the important things. And so there's a division of labor, there's a division of responsibility, and there's these um, these backup systems, these safeguards put in place so that this won't happen again. And through CRM, crew resource management, if you think about it, it was really not a technological breakthrough in 1972, but it was a human nature innovation. And it led to major improvements in airline safety because there were other crashes there were other near crashes there were other near misses that had come from exactly what was going on in that cockpit which is not a good division of labor getting distracted on something small and not noticing what's important and so the first crash of a wide body airliner provided a strong catalyst for the development of CRM and has served as a strong example for the benefits of CRM training. And at the time that flight 401 crashed, uh, a crew resource management um, that um, system, that wasn't even a thing. And so the crew didn't really have the opportunity to develop that same kind of effective teamwork that modern pilots have. And... A famous example that's more recent, I believe the year was 2009, where where crew resource management worked perfectly, is U.S. Air Flight 1549 with Captain Sully Sullenberger in New York City, where he successfully landed that disabled airplane on the Hudson River. Bird strike, no engines, He's basically flying the heaviest, biggest glider in the world, and he had to put it down somewhere. And so what happened was he, Captain Sully, took control of the airplane, and his first officer, Jeff Skiles, focused his attention on the reference handbook that included instructions for emergency situations, and there were several things that first officer Jeff Skiles did To help that be successful because Captain Sully gets all the attention because he was the one flying the plane but he is quick to point out that if it weren't for Jeff Skiles and the things that he did, the checklists that he ran through, the things that he turned on, the things that he turned off, that that would not have been a successful water ditching with no um, no, um, casualties. It would have been a disaster. So how do we apply that to you at your school? Well, you can't be in charge of everything. And trust me, I've tried and I failed to be in charge of everything. And you might say, well, wait a minute, Mark, I'm ai am a one-person show here. I, I I have a small school. I don't have all of these other administrators that some of these other schools have. I wear all the hats. Well, then there have to be some people, be it someone in the office or a lead teacher, who's going to have some responsibilities that can help to simulate this crew resource management. And I get it. I used to be a one-person show, a one-man show at my school, and, and it was very, very difficult. And there were things that slipped through the cracks and things that should not have happened. But some of you have schools where you do have an athletic director and someone in charge of finance and maybe a head of lower school. You've got, of course, your teachers. Maybe you've got a maintenance person. You've got some office staff. Your job as an effective leader is not to be involved in everything. Your job, if we're going to follow the model of crew resource management, your job is clear expectations and accountability. And I'll say it again, clear expectations and accountability. That's your job as the leader of your school. It's not to micromanage. It's not to get overly involved with how they're doing it. Clear expectations and accountability. So lesson number two from Eastern Airlines Flight 401 is customer, excuse me, crew resource management. All right, let's go on to lesson number three. Encourage open communication. So my middle daughter, she used to watch the show Air Disasters. And um, you can imagine what that show is. They take all these different plane crashes from around the world. They do a reenactment of the crash. And then the main focus is on the investigation afterwards. And one summer when she was watching it, and I was around um, for a couple of a few days, I kind of got sucked in and I was pretty interested in this show. And a lot of them, you know, it was a mechanical failure. It was weather. It was a lightning strike. It was a bird strike. But I got to tell you, most of the time it was human error. And a lot of the time when they would get the black box and there would be the audio record of the audio that would happen inside of that cockpit, there were many times that I remember where a junior officer would speak up and the more experienced pilot would ignore the, the junior officer or just say, everything's fine. And my point in bringing that up is because the application to our schools would be, we need to encourage open communication and create emotionally safe spaces to share information and have some meeting norms where people feel like they can speak up and that they're not going to get talked over, they're not going to be ignored, the body language isn't going to be it isn't going to happen and and make sure that it's clear and everybody else gets the message. Here's the thing. Just because someone hasn't been at your school for a long time doesn't mean that they what they have to say is a waste of time. You hired them or your board hired them and they are probably a person that's capable and has some things to say, but here's the problem is there's that whole seniority thing. Now, I've been at this school for blah, 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 so many years. I think that in some of these meetings, that sometimes seniority plays a role. I think sometimes gender plays a role. I think sometimes if there's a person who has a loud voice or takes up a lot of space, quote unquote, in a meeting, that that plays a role. And so you as the leader need to make sure that you're creating emotionally safe spaces for meetings, whether they're leadership team meetings or faculty meetings or even grade level or team meetings so that the quote-unquote junior officer isn't just sitting there or saying things that are being ignored by the senior officer. Um, Open communication. So we're Going over the leadership lessons from Eastern Airlines Flight 401. And lesson number one, beware of cognitive tunneling. Number two, embrace crew resource management. Number three, encourage open communication. And number four is to simulate high stress situations. So cognitive tunneling, tunnel vision, we've already agreed that that's a a researched fact. And poor decision making during fight or flight is well researched. And so what I feel like this is all about is is two words. Drills and skills. That's actually three words, but drills and skills. Okay. So drills, again, we're talking about simulating high stress situations. My school is big on drills and I'm happy that we are. So we have a fire drill every month. We have a lockdown drill several times per year. Um, Usually once a year we have um, a drill where we have an outdoor threat and then everyone has to get inside, for example. Um, We will have a weather emergency threat, um, excuse me, a weather emergency drill um, usually once a year. And so drills. Is your school having drills to simulate high-stress situations so that when it happens, when something happens, God forbid, that the drill and the repetition of that will cause people to make better decisions instead of having that high-stress level that's just off the charts? Because there's no such thing as the real thing until it's the real thing, but the drills do help. Um, And so it's, first of all, it's drills. And then the second thing is skills. And my school is big on um, stop the bleed. We're all trained in stop the bleed, how to put on a tourniquet, um, how to pack the wound, um, CPR training, first aid training, anaphylactic shock, um, how to use an EpiPen. So those are um, things that we're definitely trained to do at our school. And so When it comes to simulating high-stress situations, how's your school doing with drills and skills? Only you can answer that question. And then number five, we need to learn from our mistakes. So with that show, Air Disasters, that I was talking about, the NTSB or the international version of the same in these other countries, they would be incredibly thorough. I was always impressed with the great lengths that they would go to under... um, Examining things under microscopes and doing all kinds of metallurgy tests and you name it, just to really drill down into finding out what the heck happened with this plane. And they then would talk after they would figure out what happened is, let's say, let's say that there was a crash in argentina okay and so then the local whatever they call their ntsb in argentina they would investigate so on and so forth and then they would talk about the new policies and procedures and trainings that were implemented in that country for the pilots and with the planes uh, moving forward to make it more safe and so um one more example that is recently my wife was um watching a documentary about the Space Shuttle Challenger that exploded in the 80s. And I was listening, and then I read a little article on it, and you know, you had the Rogers Commission report and the U.S. House Committee report on what happened, and it was the O-rings and who knew what, when, and all that. And you know, I'm less interested in the finger-pointing and the blame and more interested in what can we do to make this safer moving forward, to make this better. And a few episodes ago, I did an episode on um, leadership lessons from a Navy SEAL, and I mentioned that Navy SEALs have what they call an AAR, or an after-action review. And that is where rank is thrown out the window. Everyone can speak freely. And after any operation, they talk about what went well, what went wrong, and what can we do better. And the application for us as school leaders is, is that we need to do the same thing. And I'm thankful that at my school that we debrief. It's on the agenda. Um, After an event, we debrief events. Um, So for instance, grandparents day or back to school night, you know, what went well, what didn't, what can we do better next time? But we also will debrief or the security team or the safety committee. And sometimes I might be Asked to be there for that, depending on the scope of the the event that happened, um, but there's always a debrief after a fire drill or after um, some kind of incident. And I'm recalling now at my first school um, a situation where it was an emergent situation, and what it was is I walked into the science room, tenth grade biology class was happening and I walk into the room. I was called to the room. I walk into the room, and in the middle of the room, sitting on the floor, is my science teacher, and she is holding in her arms a 10th grade boy who is unconscious, and there's blood everywhere, everywhere, and that's what I see, and so we dealt with it. Um, We, you know, of course called 911 and figured out that the bleeding was coming from his scalp, and that's why there was so much blood, and um, she said he just Fell out of his chair and um, is unconscious, and got, you know, got the kids out of the room, got the ambulance there, got it all squared away, and then of course we did a, um, we did a review, we did an after-action review, and um, it turned out he was okay. And actually, strangely, what happened was is that he had a seizure, and that seizure was determined to be because he wasn't washing his hands when he was changing the kitty litter at it at his house with his pet cat. And somehow that toxicity impacted him and he passed out and fell, hit his head, and that's where all the blood came from. But my point is, is that after that, then we got together, the teacher, a couple of administrators, um, our director of facilities, and we had a little bit of, we had an after action review and what what went well, what do we need to do better? And we actually came up with a, a policy that we implemented that had to do with how Teachers in an emergency situation will contact the office. And so something came out of that that hopefully then kept people safe, safer. And so lesson number five is learn from our mistakes. So I just want to wrap this up by saying, you know, being an airline pilot obviously is high stakes. It doesn't get much higher than that. All these lives, hundreds of lives, 30,000 feet in the air. But I want to make sure you understand that what we do is also high stakes. Now, it may not be as noticeable as a plane full of people, but when we forget that what we do is high stakes, then you know what we do? We leave doors propped open. We talk over people in meetings when they're trying to give feedback. We try to do everything ourselves. We try to micromanage people and situations Um, We don't pay attention to the little details. We don't have a drill. Then we don't reschedule a drill when we have to um, cancel it for some reason. There are things that we do where we get a little bit lax when we don't remember that what we do is high stakes. And there is a better way. And the better way is to take some lessons from Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Lesson number one, beware of cognitive tunneling. Don't get so focused on the urgent that you forget about what is truly important. Number two, embrace crew resource management, divide up the tasks, make sure that there are tasks that are being noticed by people so that you as the leader can maintain that big picture view. Number three, encourage open communication. We wanna make sure that our meeting spaces are safe spaces. Number four, simulate high stress situations, drills and skills. And number five, learn from your mistakes, debrief and get better. So your call to action today is ask yourself, what is one drill that we should start to do or do more often that will help simulate a high-stress situation and help keep our kids and staff safe? So what is one drill we should start or do more often that will simulate high stress and keep our kids safe? So I want to wrap it up by just um, letting you know about another free resource for you called The Six Things That Every Private School Teacher Wants From Their Leader. And if you do these six things, your teachers will be happy to follow you. And you can get that guide over at the slash guide. And my email is mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Reminder, the show notes are at the slash episode 42. And I hope that you'll review and rate this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can connect with me on Instagram at the private school leader or Twitter at the PS leader. And once again, if you got value from this episode, please share it with other leaders or aspiring leaders at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I appreciate you. I'm so, so impressed with the hard work and the amazing work that you're doing at your school. And thank you so much for taking me along with you. When you're running errands or working out or driving to and from school, your time is precious and I don't take it for granted. So thank you for listening today and I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.